Shalom and welcome back to Am Levadad Yishkon. This is now our eighth episode and we're finally beginning to understand the reason why there needs to be such a thing as Am Yisrael. In last, uh, over the last two weeks, we analyzed the early sections of the Torah, uh, basically Parshiot, Breshit and Noach. And we saw that the Torah presents what you might call a schematic view of the creation of the world and the origins of humanity. It tells us very clearly that the world was created with a goal. The, the entire universe was created for the sake of man, and man was given a goal, and his goal is to serve God by following God's commandments. And of course, uh, man did not uh, initially accomplish that goal, and he went through, there were several several different phases in the divine plan. The world was almost destroyed, we saw last week, and uh, rebuilt under Noach. But we saw last week that Hashem uh, changed the rules, if you will, of human existence by making a promise to Noach in response to Noach's korban. We saw it says, Vayarach Hashem et reach that when God saw or responded to the, the korban that Noach had brought, Vayomra Hashem elibo, Hashem made this uh, commitment that he's never going to destroy the world again. But then, as it were, the uh, the further developments of human history sort of complicated matters because we came to that very enigmatic parsha of Megdal Bavel, and that's what we looked at at the end of last week's parsha, uh, end of last week's podcast, and we saw that there's something very very strange. The Torah describes a society that seems to be almost utopian, almost perfect, a society which speaks b'safa achat uvidvarim achadim, a society where everyone speaks the same language, both literally and figuratively, and spends their time working together uh, for the common good, trying to make the world a better place for everyone. And their biggest concern is that this wonderful unity of theirs might be shattered. Pen... Um, and we saw that it's not clear exactly what was wrong with this, and we could have an entire shear on that, but let, it, let us simply suffice it to say that something was wrong. Something was incorrect about that unity. But it's not that the unity that was displayed by these people was intrinsically wrong. It's that the unity was in some way flawed. The ultimate goal, though, the ultimate goal of all of humanity is to get to a point where that unity is on some level uh, restored. If you take a look, and we'll jump ahead for a minute, we're going to come back to this in greater detail much, much later on in the series. But if you take a look in the second parak of the book of Yeshayahu, there we have a vision. It says, uh, Yeshayahu, parak bet, pasuk alef, hadavar, asher chazai Yeshayahu ben Amotz al Yehudavi Rushalayim, there we have a vision of Acharitayamim, a vision of the end of days. And what's that vision? This is the way Yeshayahu sees the world. Yeshayahu sees a vision of the mountain of Hashem, the, what we call the Harabayat, the Beit HaMikdash, rising up above all other mountains. And all nations of the world coming streaming to Yerushalayim, v'halchu amim rabim v'amru luchu v'naale el har Hashem el beit elokei Yaakov v'yorenu midrachav v'nelcha biorchotav. He sees the entire world coming to Yerushalayim in order that 
in order that they can learn the Torah and that the entire world uh, can follow in the ways of the Torah. And uh, this section in Yeshayahu ends with Lo It's an era of peace on earth. So the ultimate vision is of a world that's not all that different than the than the world of pre-Migdal Bavel, the world of Dodor HaFlaga. It's a world in which all of humanity is united. There's even this tower in the center. And there it's this Migdal V'Rosho B'Shamayim. In Yishayahu it's Ahar Beit Hashem. And the distinction may be significant, but there's still a very strong parallel. They're all united, and uh, and they're not fighting with one another. So, the we gave last week the uh, the Mashal of, or a parable of a building that had been built with a beautiful, incredibly, uh, incredible structure that had been built with simply a flaw in the foundation. Um, and with all the regrets, the only thing to do in such a situation is to take the entire building down and rebuild it again from scratch. Ultimately, you're going to build a building that looks almost identical to the one you took down, but this time the foundation is going to be correct. That's what needs to happen. Hashem has promised that the world will never be destroyed, and yet... Uh, the the impressive accomplishments of the Dor HaFlaga were such that if allowed to continue unabated, they would never accomplish their goal. And that's how we interpreted the Pasuk over there when it says, um, um, Hashem said we have to do something because if we allow this situation to continue, they're so unified and they're working together so well that They'll ne- nothing can nothing can stop them, and yet since their priorities are wrong or something's off space, this has to be this has to be interrupted, and therefore God destroyed the unity of humanity, split them up into multiple nations. Again, this is a schematic account. I'm not sure exactly how to understand the historic reality that's reflected by these psukim, but that's also not our concern right now. The Torah is giving us a, a schematic perception to understand the background for what's to come next. When we open, therefore, Parshat Lech Lecha, we have the following situation. Mitzad Echad, on the one hand, the world has made, inc- or humanity has made incredible strides, very impressive accomplishments. The the uh, the comparison between the Dora Plaka and the Dora Mabul, when several generations earlier, the world was on the verge of destruction because of complete chaos and total corruption and violence. Now the world had achieved an impressive level of Unity and of harmony, which regrettably had to be had to be uh, disrupted, and therefore vayafetz otam hefitz misham vayafetz Hashem otam misham al pnei kol haaretz. Therefore, Hashem scattered them, and we have a world that's now divided into many nations, each speaking its own language with its own culture, and living in geographically diverse locations. In geographically diverse locations, each pursuing a separate destiny. It is on this background, and only on this background, that the need for Am Yisrael becomes apparent. Because in order for the world to accomplish its mission, what needs to happen now is someone has to now go ahead and begin the process of rebuilding the unity that had been shattered. To take the world that had gone from the Migdal Bavel to the Plaga, to the world in which all nations were scattered and begin the long meta-historic process of restoring that unity and building towards the ultimate vision that will later be seen by Yishayahu. In order to do this, Hashem needs one nation to lead all of the others. He could have perhaps chosen 
a nation that already existed, but he opted not to do so. Perhaps there was no nation that was capable of fulfilling the task, and therefore he decides to build such a nation, as it were, from scratch. He starts with one man. As we mentioned at the very end of last week's podcast, after the uh, brief narrative of Migdal Havel at the beginning of Perikyut Aleph in Breshit, immediately there's a list of ten generations that go from Noach to Avram. I'll call him now Avram. His name later, of course, becomes Avraham. And uh, at the very end of Parsha Noach, we're given the most brief biographic information about Avram Avinu. And um, his story really begins in Perikyut Bet. And let's read these well-known psukim with this uh, new perspective that we have. Bayomer Hashem el Avram, lech lecha, me'artzecha, umi moladetcha, umi beitavicha, el ha'aretz asher areka. Here Avram is commanded to leave everything behind, lech lecha, to depart from his country, from his birthplace, from his family, to a distant land that's unfamiliar to him. And as we know, Avram was promised many blessings as a result of this. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. But not only will I bless you, also, also you will be for a blessing. You will become a blessing. And if that strange expression is not 100% clear, I believe the next Pasuk makes clear what it means. What does it mean you will be for a blessing? All people in the world, their destinies will be determined ultimately by the way they relate to you. Those who bless you, I'll bless them. Those who curse you, I will curse. And what's the purpose of all this? And here's the key phrase. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Here we have a point that is so crystal clear in the Torah. And as we'll see, it's repeated also in very clear ways later on in the Torah as well. And yet for some reason, perhaps due to our historical experiences, this very clear point, which I don't think could be any more explicit in the Torah, is something that contemporary Jewish thought often misses. We all understand that we are the chosen people. This we know. And we all understand that being the chosen people carries certain privileges. Indeed, those privileges were promised here at the very dawn of our existence as a nation when we were simply one man who was being called upon to follow God. He was promised all sorts of things. But it wasn't for him. Avram was not chosen for privilege. And the privilege he was given, or the privileges he was given, were not for their own sake. Avraham was chosen in order to serve the rest of the world. It's not that the rest of the world is meant to serve Avraham. It's that Avraham is meant to serve the rest of the world. Why is it so that anyone who blesses him will be blessed and anyone who curses him will be cursed? Because v'nivrechu v'cha kol mishpechot adama. Because he's the one who has to bring God's blessings to the rest of the world. 
It's not yet clear. It will become clear behem sheikh in, in, in the coming, uh, the rest of this podcast and in the coming weeks, it'll become clear how this is meant to be done, how Avram's descendants are meant to carry out that mission. But for now, it's important to simply understand what the mission is. Avraham's job is to bring the messages of God and godliness to the rest of the world. And it seems that Avraham understood that very well. Vayelech Avram. Avram accepts the challenge and, and leaves Haran with only his immediate family and with his nephew Lot. He's 75 years old at this point. Vayavor Avram Ba'aretz. Avram entered the land of Canaan. For the first time, Avram Avinu enters what is going to become the promised land. And he reaches Ad Mekom Shechem Ad Elon Moreh Vehakna'ani Az Ba'aretz. We'll return to that phrase in a moment. Vayerash, Avram is going. He doesn't know what his destination is. He was told to go simply El Ha'aretz Asher Areka, simply to wherever he was shown. So he goes. And then, suddenly, when he reaches Shechem, Vayera Hashem el Avram Vayomer, Lizaracha etain et ha'aretz hazot, Vayiven sham izbeach l'ashem anirei lav. For the first time when Avram reaches Shechem, he's informed that this is the land that's going to be promised to his descendants. And in that sentence, there are actually two promises. He's promised that the land will be, will be given to his descendants, but contained within that promise, is another promise. Because at this time, Avraham still has no children. And therefore, the promise that the land will be given to his descendants also includes a promise that he will have descendants. And in response, Avraham builds him his Be'ach to Hashem. And then he continues traveling. He continues from Shechem. He goes south from there. He turns off the main road, which would have continued through the valleys on the way to Egypt, and instead he begins to enter the, the inner land of Eretz Canaan, up in the mountains, Mikedem Levet El, Vayeta Halo, and there he pitches his tent next to Beit El, and there, Vayivan Sham Mizbeach Lashem, there in Beit El, he builds a second Mizbeach, and this time, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. This time he calls out in the name of Hashem, and that's a phrase that we see repeatedly later on in Avram's life, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. What does that mean, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem? It means that Avram understood, okay, if this is the place, and this is where I need to go about the task of beginning to fulfill my mission, my mission is My mission is to bring God's blessings to the world, to teach the world, bring them close to God, bring them into what we call bring them into a situation where ultimately they will follow the word of God, and all of humanity will accomplish its mission and thereby will restore ultimately the unity that existed prior to the building of Migdal Bavel. And ultimately perhaps we'll even get back to Gan Eden. We'll repair all of the mistakes that humanity had made. We'll get back to that perfect existence that we once upon a time had. And unlike the first time, this time we will follow God's commands with complete fidelity and the world will accomplish its goal. That's Avram's mission. Now he was told that he's not going to accomplish his mission 
in one day or one year or even in his own lifetime. It's going to take many generations. He's told, It's only going to happen in the time of his children. And we'll see in a few minutes that that point was made even more clear to him a little bit later on. Nevertheless, Avram begins already to lay the foundation, to make the very first steps towards the accomplishment of that mission. Almost immediately, he goes to Beit El and he sets up a Mizbeach, but it's not just a personal Mizbeach. It's not just a place where he can personally offer uh, thanksgiving to God for what he's been promised. It's Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. It's a place where Avram is going to teach others by calling out in the name of God. At this point, though, we have to ask ourselves a very fundamental question. We understand the basic idea. Hashem chose Avram. And by the way, the Torah doesn't give us any indication as to why Avram was the one who was chosen. Uh, Chazal in the Midrashim sort of fill in a lot of this for us, but the Torah, interestingly, doesn't, doesn't discuss it at all. We're just told that Avram was chosen. He was chosen and was given this promise, separate yourself from everyone, walk away, I'll make you into a great nation, you'll have many descendants, even though you... We're talking about a 75-year-old man who had no children at all at this point. You'll have many descendants. You'll be a great nation. You'll be blessed and you'll be famous and you'll, you'll have all of these gifts and you will become the one who will, uh, your nation, your descendants will lead the rest of the world and bring God's blessings to the rest of humanity. That all, that's all understandable. And the fact that there needs to be a land is also understandable. How can you have a nation if you don't have a land? So the idea that, that Avram was told to go away from his birthplace to some foreign area where he would be able uh, to begin the process of building a nation that would, that would lead the rest of humanity, that, that's understandable. But the location of the land in which he was told to do this is somewhat puzzling. He was sent to the land of Canaan. One might have expected that he would be sent to some remote, distant location, a country far away from the rest of society, a country with lots of natural resources perhaps, but essentially empty. Something akin to what the first European settlers found, for example, when they came to North America. And they found a country that was vast and almost empty. There were some natives, of course, but basically a, a huge, essentially virgin continent where, with, isolated from the rest of the world, where they could settle and try to create a perfect society. That's what the founders of the United States had when they set out to do something that's on some level somewhat similar to what Avram Avinu had set out to do so many, so many centuries earlier. But Avram wasn't sent to a place like America. He was sent to a country that's absolutely in the middle of the world. Take a look at a map, particularly a map of the ancient world without North and South America, and without the more distant areas of Europe and Asia and certainly Australia, ancient society was situated between the two twin poles of Mesopotamia, where today's Iran and Iraq are, and Egypt. And in between those two areas, on the major road between them lies Eretz, Eretz Canaan. It's the crossroads of three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. They're in the middle of the world, and perhaps there's some understandable reason for that, because after all, even if in the short term it's a little bit inconvenient, if the goal is ultimately to be to be an example to others, perhaps the nation of Avram's descendants is going to have to be in a place where they can 
where they can be seen. But the Torah tells us explicitly. Let's go back and read that pasuk again. Perigubet pasuk vav said by Yavor Avram Baaretz when he first entered the land. Ad mekom shchem ad elon more vehaknaani az baaretz. Avram got to the land and it wasn't empty. There were people already there. There was a whole nation that lived in the land and ruled the land. And the next pasuk, therefore, to Avraham must have sounded exceedingly strange. He gets to this place, a fully inhabited country. He's promised a land that already has inhabitants, that people already rule. It's not an empty country or an almost empty country. It's not even a country that has a few natives living in a land that's essentially essentially empty. And that those natives could perhaps be outnumbered and overruled at some point. We're talking about an established society with cities that at this point were hundreds of years old. With, with armies, with kings. And Avram is told, this is the place. One needs to ask why Hashem organized it that way. If, in fact, Eretz Canaan, what later became known as Eretz Yisrael, is the place where the chosen nation has to be, then why didn't Hashem arrange it that this land would be just kind of empty? Why was Haknani Azbaharetz? And Avram himself experienced the effects of this later on. We see much later on when his wife Sarah died and he needed to bury her. What did he have to say to the people of Hebron, the Bnei Chet, when he wanted to obtain Maratha Machpelah? He had to say to them, Ger v'toshav anochi imachem. What a strange expression. I'm a toshav, I'm a resident here, but I'm also a ger. Because until that point in time, Avram had no rights to the land. He lived as a, as a nomad, sort of like a Bedouin. This was the first time, Maratha Machpelah was the first time he had the opportunity to buy a piece of land. Until then, he had no land to call his own. And how strange is that, that if we're sending Avraham to begin the process of building a nation and the, in a land that's promised that he'll inherit it, why is it a land that already has inhabitants? We're not going to answer that question today. The answer will come only in a future podcast. But let's instead make the question even stronger. A bit later on, Avraham was given a vision. And it's an extremely disturbing one. Perak Tedvav we read, Achar hadvarim ha'ele hayad dvar Hashem el Avram b'machaze lemor al tira Avram anuchim agen lach scharcha harbe me'od. God appears to Avram in a vision and uh, begins with a very encouraging message. Don't be afraid, your reward will be great. Vayomra Avram Hashem elokim matitain li v'anuchi holeich hariri. Avram says, but I don't even have any descendants. And here, Zera, I have no children. Don't worry about it, he's promised. And then we have the famous vision, God takes him outside. Hashem took Avram outside, told him to look up at the sky, count the stars. Is it possible to count them? So shall your descendants be. You will have descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
But then the vision gets darker. He's told uh, this very strange procedure to take these different animals and cut them in half. And then we have what's called the Brit Bein HaBitarim. I'll skip a few psukim. Vayhi HaShemesh Lavo V'Tardema Nafla Lavram V'Hinei Eima Chashecha Gedola Nofelet Alav It becomes dark. The sun sets and Avram falls into a trance or some sort of a slumber and a dark fear. A dark fear, great fear, comes upon Avram and he's given the following terrible nevuah. Avram is told your descendants are going to go into exile. And imagine what that must have sounded like to Avram. He's already been wondering at this point for quite a while, what does it mean? He came into this land and he was told on the one hand, Not only does he have no descendants, but the land is already in the hands of someone else. It already belongs to someone. And he says to Hashem, but I have no children. And Hashem says, don't worry, you'll have as many children as as the stars in the sky. But then he's told that those children are going to have to go into exile. So how are they going to... I don't understand. I have no children. The land belongs to others. And when I finally will have children, the children are going to go into exile? And it gets worse. Not only exile. They're going to live in a land that's not their own. They're going to have to serve the residents of that foreign land. They're going to be slaves. They're going to suffer for 400 years. What's going on here? Why is such a thing necessary? Avram Avinu doesn't even have a single child. And he's already been informed that his descendants are going to have to go into exile for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is a very, very difficult thing to understand. So we're not going to answer this now. But what we've seen in today's discussion is that Avram was chosen and was told that his descendants will become a great nation. That great nation has a mission of meta-historic importance. The mission of Avram's descendants is It's to bring God's blessings to the world, to reverse the mistakes of previous societies, and ultimately previous generations, and ultimately to get back to the unity that preceded the the Tower of Babel, and ultimately to get back to Gan Eden and to accomplish the purpose of creation. That's the mission that Avram is being charged with. His descendants will have to lead the world. He's promised on the one hand all sorts of great promises, but on the other hand, before he even gets a chance to get started, he sees all sorts of very, very strange and difficult to understand obstacles. The land is already already owned by somebody else. He has no children, and when he's eventually going to have children, he's promised, but those, and eventually he'll have children that are as numerous as the stars in the sky, but those children are not going to have an easy time either. They're going to have to leave the land. They're going to have to go into exile. They're going to suffer and be slaves for hundreds of years. And only after that, Why is this necessary? What's the purpose of it all? This is something that we'll see in future in future weeks. Until then, Shalom.